and the brave new world begins. When all men are paid for existing, and no man must pay for his sins, as surely as water will wet us, as surely as fire will burn, the gods of the copybook headings with terror and slaughter return. Okay, thanks for listening, everybody. Welcome to the first episode of the Copybook Headings podcast. Um, I am your host, Patrick Payne, and with me is my co-host, uh, Andrew. Andrew, say hi. Yeah, hi. Thanks uh, Thanks so much for joining us on this uh, inaugural episode of this podcast. Um, we'd like to go through today and, and, and tell you a little bit about what, what this podcast is and, and where we're going to be going with it, the directions we're going to be taking it. And specifically, the inspiration for it, which is uh, by some of you may have known by the by the title of this podcast, it's based on a on a poem by by Rudyard Kipling, an old poem called "The Gods of the Copybook Headings." Um, Andrew, uh, you've you, you've read the poem. You like the poem like I do. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, what, what what are your thoughts on it? What where, where do you be? Where do we begin? Well, um, you know, I, I think I'd read it some years ago, um, you know, went through a, a Kipling phase, right. And read a lot of his stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I've got one of his other poems up on my wall for motivation, but, uh, uh, I don't know that I really, um, delved into this one too much until recently. Um, I, I, some of the, some of the lines were familiar, so they get, they get quoted quite a bit, but, um, but it's really, uh, it's really kind of a timeless poem. And that's, I mean, that's the, it's the essence of it is that there are timeless ideas that, you know, we're bound to return to, even if we try and disregard them now. So, um, yeah, it's, it's really enjoyable. How did, how did you come across it? Uh, yeah, I think it was my dad who, who shared it with me at one point years ago. And, um, you know, I didn't understand what it meant at first and he had to explain to me what the copybook headings were. And so, We'll kind of go through that now, and, and what what the copybook headings are, and what this what what this poem is about is it's it's in reference to um, back years ago they would have uh, students in school practice their penmanship by writing in these books they called copybooks, and so it would basically be mostly a blank page but with one heading at the top, and, and it would be a line um, that they would copy over and over and over and over and over. And they would copy this one line many times to practice their penmanship. And so the idea in these schools back when they still taught in, you know, uh, good values <laughs> was yeah. that, was that if they're going to have them write sentences and write lines, they might as well teach, have them be writing some sort of, you know, um, maxim or, or, um, eternal truth. It's something that's going to teach them some values along the way. So we have these sayings and these, these, uh, things that maybe you've heard your grandfather say, or, or, or just these timeless truths that are encapsulated in these aphorisms, and these students would write them over and over and over. Well, the uh, uh, Rudyard Kipling wrote wrote this poem about the copybook headings and how these timeless truths that were contained in these in these lines were he called them the gods, right? The gods of the copybook headings. That, that's how powerful they were. They were, um, and they continued to come back, uh, time and time again, even though people tend to ignore them. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, so I, I, I've always turned back to this poem many, many times. Uh, it's one of my favorites. And so, uh, 
I, it dawned on me one day, maybe I should, maybe I should talk about this and maybe I should turn this into a podcast where, uh, where, where I could discuss a different one every week, a different aphorism or, or phrase maxim, one of these truisms, uh, and, and we could break it down and decide, you know, kind of examine how the world is treating these, these gods of the copybook headings. Are they following them or have they abandoned them once again? <laughs> yeah, that that's cool. Yeah. And when you, uh, when you, pitch this idea to kind of our, our, our larger group of guys asking, you know, who's, who's interested in, in being involved with this. As soon as I saw it, I was like, yes, please. It was a great idea. This is, um, there's so much to talk about with these, with these proverbs. Um, what, so this, the poem itself, um, who's, I guess there's an, anta- an antagonist to these gods of the copybook headings. Tell us about the, gods of the marketplace. Yeah, there is. And, and so Kipling goes through and he talks about these gods of the copybook headings and the, the antagonist, as you mentioned, is who he calls the gods of the marketplace. And the gods of the marketplace, he says that they are um, windborne, right? And they're, they're, they're um, uh, cloud, cloud and windborne, like the, guards of the gods of the marketplace. So uh, I'll read you one line from it. It says, we moved as the spirit listed. We as you know, referring to society, uh, they never altered their pace. They being the, the copybook headings, being neither cloud nor windborne like the gods of the marketplace, but they always caught up with our progress. And so um, these gods of the marketplace change over time, right? They they'll blow one way like the wind; they'll blow another way. Yeah. Things become popular, things become unpopular, and the gods of the copybook headings just keep saying the same truths over and over. Um, uh, you know, uh, be honest, right. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. early to bed, early to rise. The, the, the classic, uh, good advice that we've heard over and over and, uh, the, um, the gods of the market just, just run around them and, uh, go back and forth. Yeah. It's he, the next stanza has some examples of that, right. Where, um, you know, the talking about the hopes um, that our world is built on, they were utterly out of touch. For example, you know, that the moon was made of cheese, um, that wishes were horses, that pigs had wings. <laughs> you know, these are all the things that, that the gods of the, the copybook headings deny, but the gods of the market are trying to promise these, these outlandish things to humanity. These, these nice ideas that just don't work. Yes, exactly. So we worship the gods of the market who promise these beautiful things, right? They want the, the gods of the market are telling us we can, you can do all the things that you want. You can, you can, uh, you know, have your cake and eat it too, as, as it is. And you don't have to, you don't have to pay the consequences for these, these bad, your bad actions. Yeah. Uh, you, you can get away with it. And so, um, so yeah, I, it, when we look at society at large today and we see the things that they're telling us, things that, you know, would have horrified our great grandparents, uh, the kind of things that are accepted nowadays is just patently ridiculous things that are completely contrary to, uh, timeless wisdom and things that, uh, wise human beings have been repeating for generations. And so I thought this was a, a, a relevant, relevant, uh, discussion to have in, in this day and age. And, and, and so there's so much we can talk about here. <laughs> um, there's so many, many ways we can go. So <clears throat> Going forward, what we'll be doing is just discussing a new one of these phrases every week and and 
uh, talking about how how much or how alike or unlike our society is from from these from these truths. So um, I wanted to uh, I'll, I'll I'll mention one another line here in the poem. Um, well, I'll, I'll start with this one. It says, "In the Carboniferous epic, we were promised abundance for all by robbing selective Peter to pay for collective Paul. But though we had plenty of money, there was nothing our money could buy." And the gods of the copybook heading said, "If you don't work, you die." So, yeah, yeah, that I think that's probably the the bit that I came across first. Like see, seeing people quote that one, it comes up among among libertarians a lot um, <laughs> with the, <laughs> with domestic policy and everything. Um, yeah, what what's meaningful to you about about this? Yeah, you mentioned the 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 the, the libertarians probably like that because of the 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 sound money aspect there to it, right there. Yeah. The, the monetary policy. We had plenty of money, but our money couldn't buy anything because they were printing it out of nothing, which is which is probably fair. Um, yeah. And so, but yeah, that's that's um, robbing selective Peter to pay for collective Paul, and 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 uh, that was a, one of the lines that my dad had pointed out to me when he showed me this this poem originally. And uh, you know we it's, it's easy to forget, you know, your morality when you're looking at groups. Well, let's take from this person to give to everybody. Let's do this yeah. against this person to, yeah. to, to, to benefit me, right? Essentially is what it comes down to. And, uh, we were promised abundance for all is what the gods of the marketplace are saying, right? Well, you can have everything. All you need to do is rob these people. <laughs> you need to do is raise a little more taxes yeah. and then everything's going to be great. Right. Yeah. They've got plenty of money for you never runs out. <laughs> so, yeah, so uh this is this is a a classic uh you know truism that there's money doesn't grow on trees, that things don't come out of nowhere. Um there's scarcity in this world and if you don't work, you die. You have to go out and earn everything that you get. And um that's not to say that you you have to be, you know, cruel or or anything about it, but uh everyone needs to to have a, a productive work to do in this life. Yeah, I think, yeah. I think it's crucial. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And that's, and that's right. That's the, the gods of the copy book heading. That's their rebuttal, right? That if you don't work, you die. Um, and I think, yeah. And that's, you could on, on the surface, take that as just, you know, a cruel reality of, you know, you need to work to get food and shelter and clothing. Um, but there's also the spiritual aspect of, you know, what's good for you as not working is not good for you. You got to have something to do. You got to have something productive, something to give your life some meaning. Um, or you just kind of, your soul just kind of atrophies. Like you, you, you go, you go crazy. I think, I think I'd seen a while back, Jordan Peterson maybe talked about, about that idea that, you know, in experiments or, or hypotheticals of, of not having any work, right? all your needs are met. People just go crazy. They start breaking things because it, um, they need that. And that's, that's, I certainly feel that even, even if, like working a desk job, I feel that like, I want, I want to make something with my hands, right? I want to, <laughs> I want to go do something <laughs> that's, uh, that's real. That's outside that that's nourishing to the soul. When you mentioned working at a desk, that's exactly the point I was about to make is that, uh, you know, we, 
it, people are having health problems now. They're having back problems. They're having, why? Because we work too hard? No, because we sit too much. Isn't that yeah. crazy? <laughs> we're, we're, we're killing ourselves from, from too little work, not too much. And through all of human history, it's been the opposite, right? If you backbreaking labor and people having to work from sun up to sundown and, and we are so privileged to use a, a modern term, right? That, uh, yeah. We, we just sit around and uh, our bodies literally start to atrophy and our muscles start to start to wither away. And, and as you mentioned, the spiritual aspect of it, the, the, the moral aspect of it, the um, emotional aspect, whatever, whatever you want to call it, you need to be doing something. You need to be going out and producing something. And, uh, you know, inequality seems like a, just a, a natural part of the human experience. So there's always going to be someone who produces more or does a little bit uh, better, but but ultimately comes down to what you can do and, and can you get up and, and add some value to your life? Can you add some value to your family? Can you add some value to your community, to your, your town, um, to your church, to your, uh, the people around you. And, um, and that comes from labor that comes from getting up and doing something and, and, and doing something productive. Yeah. That, I like that you mentioned the community aspect, right? Not all our work is remunerative. Um, a lot of it is, um, kind of goes towards our neighbors, our, our friends, even, you know, strangers in our community where the benefit comes back in different ways, like by, by having a strong community, by having good relationships. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think so. And, uh, I mean, I, just as an example, I have, a, I'm fortunate enough to live in a nice little community with, where people are friendly and neighbors know each other and say hi to each other. It's a very small town of you know, 900 people. <laughs> yeah. So, so, uh, but I mean, my, my snowblower broke this winter and I really haven't had to worry about it because my neighbor just comes and plows me out every day. And, uh, I kept thanking him for it every time and he'd say, Oh, no problem. And then I went out the other day and I, uh, he was plowing it again. I, I could tell that someone was plowing it, you know, from outside the window. So I go out there to wave to him and it was a completely different neighbor. He'd got to me sooner <laughs> before the first guy. So, uh, so yeah, uh, it's when you have a community like that of people who, who pitch in and help each other out, it's, uh, it's really something special. Yeah. So, all right. Um, let's kind of move. Uh, I want to talk about a couple of, couple of other parts. Um, uh, a common, a common thing we're seeing today is, is, you know, well, violent crime is on the uptick, right? And so people are kind of freaking out as to why that's the case. I'm sure that there are some copybook headings that talk about why <laughs> that maybe yeah. we can talk about in later, later episodes. Uh, maybe it's, uh, you know, the breakdown of the family or when kids don't have any, any direction, who knows, we'll, we'll, we'll explore that another time. But, um, <clears throat> of course, gun control is being brought up again as, as a, as a, a source of, you know, a potential panacea for all of our, all of our violent crime woes, right? Yeah. So uh, <clears throat> this other stanza I'll read. <clears throat> uh, when the Cambrian measures were forming, they promised perpetual peace. They swore if we gave them our weapons that the wars of the tribes would cease. But when we disarmed, they sold us and delivered us bound to our foe. And the copy and the gods of the copybook heading said, stick to the devil, you know. <clears throat> I thought that was a pretty powerful one too. Um, of course that there's always going to be some problems. There's always going to be some strife. And whenever you have people living together, there's going to be some, some level of discord, but, uh, you got to be careful, got to be careful about what you're willing to give up and what you're willing to trade because it could end up far, far worse than, uh, than what it was before. Yeah. And, and this one's interesting in particular with, I mean, I think this poem was published in 1919. I don't know when he wrote it, 
so this is right on the heels of the most devastating war that you know Europe had ever seen certainly um so kind of with that in mind you know he's was you know saying it was it was yeah it was devastating for England um uh everyone everyone lost someone in that war and so kind of saying you know that's terrible but it's still better than the alternative right that's the that's the devil they know is is war because the alternative is slavery um yeah it's that's a big one yeah that's right and and being in england i i i don't know my you know british history that well but i i imagine from from a gun control standpoint that may have been right around the time where they're starting to enact some strict some strict yeah. rules or or maybe just before that so he may have been seeing things and people you know a lot of pearl clutching going on in the streets of london and people people panicking about someone carrying a pistol around yeah. you know yeah exactly i yeah i don't i don't know much about um the story behind that one in particular um yeah i guess i guess i'm seeing here um reading a little bit about it is that you know the prime minister was and, and liberal government were trying to had efforts at disarmament but i don't i don't know much more about that um but yeah it's it's interesting especially right after a war where you know every man in the country is used to to bearing arms yeah um, and and then just at home saying well no sorry <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And um, I mean, 1919, that's uh, right during what they would call, uh, what they call the progressive era here in America, right? right? Was that right. W- Wilson? Was that President Woodrow Wilson at that time? Yeah. yeah. Or, or close to it. So that, that was Roosevelt when they were... was, was pretty progressive too. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so they were there. Uh, this is the time when they're starting to believe that they could solve all the world's problems with these, these big government programs and design a new world, right? Uh, to, to, uh, um, to combat all these ills and, and, and the, the, the gods of the, the marketplace were certainly, uh, <laughs> they were, the winds were blowing in their direction for at that, at that period of time. And they were all uh, trying to envision a, a brave new world where, where everything would be, everything would be great. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we know how that turned out, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Go ahead. No, I just say like I, I was going to look at this other one, kind of in between these two we've already talked about. Those two being like really relevant to current politics and society, and this other one is too. Um, I mean, this one is more about like sexual immorality amongst in society. Yeah. Um, you know, the last two lines: "Till our our women had no more children." And the men lost reason and faith, and the gods of the copybook heading said, "The wages of sin is death." Yeah, um, I mean, that's a big that's a big issue. You know, I see it on the internet a lot anyway. About um, you know, people, you know, the fertility rates in in all over the world, you know, crashing, and people not wanting to have children, you know, women in particular, and then you know, the men lost reason and faith. I think that goes in hand in hand with that. Um, especially men who do want families and, and don't have that option. Bad things happen when you have a lot of restless young men in your society. Yep. Um, and then the, the counter to that being, 
the wages of sin is death. And that's, you know, another, another heavy one that on the surface is just, you know, physical mortality. Um, but there's a lot more to it. There's, you know, global societal implications, like those particular sins of, of not, you know, keeping up your society, the population, your society dies like that. That's not just the individuals. Yeah, absolutely. And we're seeing uh, population crashes all across the globe right now where people aren't, uh, uh, people aren't um, respecting the, the, you know, they've turned away from family. They've turned away from having children. They've turned away from other things and they've, they've pursued, you know, pursued their sexual desires for, for their own pleasure and for their own, uh, um, for, for, and that that's the only reason they're doing it. Right. So, um, yeah, absolutely. The wages of sin is death and always has been. And, and we're, we're certainly seeing that. Um, I wanted to jump back a little bit to, to kind of towards the beginning of the poem. It says, um, it's describing the, the, the gods of the copybook headings and how people envision them. It says with the hopes that our world is built on, they were utterly out of touch, right? That's the term he used is these old, these old sayings, they're out of touch. They're not, yeah. um, th- this is funny to me because, um, when I was doing some research on this poem, I was Googling some things and I found an article, I forget which ridiculous modern, you know, left-wing rag had written something about this or for, um, but they had written an article criticizing this old poem and the term they used was it's out of touch. And I, I, <laughs> I thought it was hilarious that they're using that term and, and I'm like, man, yeah, uh, yeah. Kipling predicted that one a long time ago. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. It was pretty funny. So, so yeah, he, he, uh, um, he talks about, he talks about in the poem, he talks about that the, that the gods will always catch up to our progress, right? We think we're marching ahead at this great, at this great speed, at this terrific clip. We're following yeah. the gods of the market. Everything's going great. We're getting wealthy, you know, things are moving and, and, you know, progress does move. Technology improves, economies flourish. And sometimes we think that, that we're doing so great, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he said, but they would always catch up and says they always caught up with our progress. And presently word would come that a tribe had been wiped off his ice field or the lights had gone out in Rome. So that, that's a little bit of a chilling um, line as well. Um, (laughs) (laughs) The lights going out in Rome. Yeah. Especially from a a perspective where we are now, where I'm, I'm beginning to view that we're kind of in the late stages of the American empire right now, right? Where it's, things are a little shaky at home. Yeah, for sure. And it's, and it's hard to know how alarmed to be, right? Like what's been sensationalized and what's, what's real. Um, and just that, that confusion, that inability to know for certain is, is a bit maddening. I think like (laughs) really, uh, yeah, it's just, it's a, it can be a depressing thing. Like you can, not know what's coming and and it it can it certainly can be frightening i it, but I, although i think uh in troubling times like this i think a lot of people are turning back to living the old ways starting to you're seeing um you know basically uh living traditional values are becoming kind of the counterculture right and, and yeah. young ki- kids are starting to do it you're seeing more yeah. people wanting to you know plant tomato 
gardens and, and raise yeah. chickens. And <laughs> they're just like, yeah, exactly. I, don't, I don't want any part of wherever we're going. I want to go back to <laughs> doing things a little bit older, a little bit simpler, and a little bit something that is tried and true that we know will work. Yeah, definitely. The, yeah, there's there's a lot of new chickens in in my suburban neighborhood this <laughs> this year for sure. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. I, I'm not on that. I'm not on that bandwagon yet, but uh, I, I'm wanting to be. Yeah, for sure, for sure. It's great, and so I'm I'm excited about that. So it's it's depressing in a way to see where we're going, but but there's glimmers of hope, right? And so we'll 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 ultimately decide our our, our fate, um, both collectively and individually. If we can, if we can, you know, follow the the wisdom that our our grandfathers have taught us, <laughs> and when I say grandfathers, I mean that in the in the long term sense, great great grandfathers going back, um, including the, you know, biblical teachings and, and things that have been have been written um, a long time ago, right? Yeah, definitely. And what you're you've just been talking about that's that's in here too, right? So then the gods of the market tumbled, and their smooth tongue smooth-tongued wizards withdrew and the hearts of the meanest were humbled and began to believe it was true. Ah, yes. So yeah, that, that kind of spell that the, the priests of the, of the marketplace gods, you know, that it loses its charm on people and, and they start to wake up and start to start to see what, what's real. And, and, and I love these examples that of what is real that he gives in the next line. That not that all is not gold that glitters, and two and two make four. I, I see that one a lot with with various various social issues, right? That like just kind of denying denying basic reality, trying to trying to gaslight people, and and that you know two and two equals four comes up a lot with that, right? Sure, You're sure. Like, tr- people trying to convince you that that it equals something else. Yes, two and two make four, and the final line, and the gods of the copybook headings limped up to explain it once more right? they'd yeah. taken a beating they're limping they're they're on you know because people have just been trashing them but they limped up to explain it one more time this is how it goes and yeah. um i mean i remember having a conversation with a a friend a while back this was several years ago and he was telling me that he didn't see any point of of uh getting married he said yeah. what's the what's the point of this this institution where you can you know we can just cohabitate, do, do the same thing that married people do. We can even have kids. We don't really need this, this institution. And, and, uh, I didn't exactly know what to tell him other than we've been doing this a long time, man. Like <laughs> let's not, let's not pretend we're so much smarter than the people who came before us where they, they, they did this for a reason and society was structured this way for a, for a particular reason. And, um, I mean, I have some, some religious views on that, but he wasn't a religious guy. So, so I knew that that probably wouldn't be the the best uh, avenue to take it. But uh, the only thing I could think of at the time was um, think long and hard before you just throw away something that's been going on for thousands of years that maybe there was yeah. a reason for it, you know? Yeah. Is that, is that concept, is that Chesterton's fence? Is that what they call that? Oh, I haven't I heard of that. I don't I'm know. Wrong. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, just that idea, right? Like you don't tear down a, a fence unless you know why it's there. Oh, you know? right. And, yeah. Like you don't, you don't get rid of, um, you know, the pillars of society, the, the, the things that hold things up or have held things up for, for a long time, you have to really think about why you might want to take them down and what might happen if you do. Cause some things can be gotten rid of. Some things don't ultimately stand the test of time. Um, absolutely legitimately, but, but a lot of stuff that gets thrown away 
was necessary for a reason. Yeah, that's right. And and it's important that you made that point. I think that's a really good point that not everything that's old is better necessarily. And progress does yeah. need to be made and changes need to be made throughout society. But there's uh there are certain things and these these uh these gods of these copybook headings <laughs> that continue over and over to to limp up and explain it to us one more time since since we've uh every time we we seemingly forget, right? Yeah. Well, all right. Um <clears throat> I wanna um uh, the, the ending of the poem is epic. <laughs> it's, it's just great, right? Um, he talks about. Well, let's hear, the, why, don't you give, why don't you give it to us the the last two two stanzas here? Okay, he says, uh, um, "Yeah, as, as surely as water will wet us, as surely as fire will burn, the gods of the copybook headings with terror and slaughter return." Yeah, that is uh, that's powerful. Um, it's it, he. They're not the uh, the the school marms of of copybook headings, right? Or the the the, the nagging uh, uh, milkmaid of the copybook headings. These are the gods of the copybook heading. They have some power, and we can beat yeah. them up, and we can ignore them to our to our uh, ultimate destruction, or we can we can return and realize uh, the the wisdom that's been taught uh, and and for a long time. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Some other things. Uh, right before that, you know, some, some truths, right. That, that the dog returns to his vomit and the sow returns to her mire and the burnt fool's bandaged finger goes wobbling back to the fire. <laughs> That's um, such a right? great I mean, one. And it's good. I, I like that he, he has these animal references. Um, Cause that's, that's an interesting. One. And that's one that, um, that really is timeless. And you can see it. You can look at ancient literature. I mean, the dog returning to its vomit, that's like, that's biblical, right? That's, um, and it's true. If you have a dog, <laughs> <laughs> very true. Right. Um, and pigs wallow in the mire and they always have since humans have known them. And yes. so, uh, it's easy to recognize that as constant. Um, but when we look at ourselves, we want to turn a blind eye. We want to want to pretend that, that we don't have some aspects of our nature that are uh, permanent as, as part of what we are as, as beings. You know, I, I agree a hundred percent. And I think part of that is, is, as we mentioned before about how we have gone away from nature in our society, we sit at computers all day. We don't see pigs and dogs interact like human beings have for thousands of years. And so the more we draw ourselves away from seeing these natural laws take place over and over where we can draw some lessons from it, it's, I think it's easier for us to get distracted. Um, one more reason why it's probably, probably healthy that people are, are returning to that and <laughs> getting their chickens, right. And or, um, yeah. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I think it's uh, it, short of that. If you're not in a position where you can, where you can become your own little self-sustaining farm, um, just spending more time in nature, spending more time outside and away from your screens and, and, uh, and seeing the laws of nature in, in play, you can just witness them and see that they've been here since time immemorial. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, cool. Um, I get, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll stop here. We'll wrap it up for the, for the first episode. Uh, now, uh, now all you listeners, thank you for listening. You know <laughs> what the, what the podcast is about and, and you can share this poem, please go read it and, and, uh, and, uh, 
uh, follow along with us, subscribe so we can, we can continue talking about these, but, uh, thanks so much for listening, everybody. And, uh, we'll see, we'll see you next time. All right. We'll see you. Thanks.